We're looking in the book of Acts this morning, chapter number 8, the book of Acts, chapter number 8. We're going to read the first eight verses to get us going this morning. One, the Bible says, now Saul was consenting to his death, talking about the death of Stephen, who was one of the first seven original uh, deacons who was martyred. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Will people cry when you die? That's another sermon. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Father, we thank you for your incredible and your infallible word. God, I just pray today that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will rest upon the message and upon the messenger, Lord, today. God, give us ears upon our heart today. Father, may we not just listen today, but may we heed your word. May we put in practice what we receive today. May we be better today because we have heard and we have acted upon your word. All of these things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, for those of you that are here for the very first time, we are in a series that I am calling Take Action. We are walking through an action-packed book called the book of Acts. Today we get a look at some of the struggles uh, of the early church. See, see, the church has had opposition And will continue to have it until the day that Jesus returns and takes the church to heaven in an event that has been, uh, that, that we call the rapture or the catching away of the church. So until that event occurs, the church will struggle with opposition, and that opposition will come both from without as well as from within. Well, today we're going to cover all of the verses of chapter number 8. And there are four things in these 40 verses that I want to focus on this morning. And the first one is this, and that is the church will be persecuted. We need to understand the fact that the church will be persecuted. We already read about this in the first three verses. And there are two things in these verses that I want to call your attention to. First of all, let me me tell you that our message won't always be popular. Our message won't always be popular. The religious leaders of that day were notorious for manipulating the people with their religious rules and regulations and and their their many various add-ons. To the law. Religious traditions were being taught as 
if they were equal with Scripture. Let me ask you, has anything changed? When the church was born and the message of grace and the message of the cross was preached, the religious leaders became became threatened. They became fearful that they would lose the hold that they had on the people. And so they rejected the message and they also rejected the messengers. And the Bible says that they started a religious war actually trying to destroy the church. Today, conservative Christians such as you and I, Conservative Christians and their biblical beliefs and values are standing in the way of worldly, liberal, humanistic views. We're in the way. And once again, a war has been waged against the conservative biblical views of the church. Today, you and I, as conservative Christians, we are being targeted. Uh, We are being labeled as bigots, outdated, closed-minded, tunnel-visioned, irrelevant dinosaurs. We are being targeted as a threat to their immoral, ungodly, and anti-Christ agenda. We need to understand this morning that our message won't always be popular. But the sad thing about it is, is that not just will our message not be popular with the world, but also our message today will not be popular with a host of people and even leaders in the modern church. Because we are living in a day where entire denominations are rewriting their doctrines and rewriting their values to align themselves with the world and not with what is written in the Word. But not only will our message not be popu- always be popular, but our message could eventually lead us to prison. Our message could eventually land us in prison. That's what happened with the early church. That's what happened with the early disciples. That's what happened with the preachers, the pastors, the ministers of the early church. Their message landed them in prison. And I'm going to tell you that if we continue to preach the message that we have been preaching for the last hundred years, or should I say for the last 2,000 years, if we continue to preach that message, there may come a time, amen, when the man of God is tossed into jail. For instance, at the Grace Place, we teach that life begins at conception. And so because we believe that life begins at conception, so that means that we believe that abortion is murder. Now let me hasten to say that if you have had an abortion... God still loves you, and God can can continue to use you, and God can forgive you. I want you to understand that. But we believe that life begins uh, at conception, and so that means that we believe that abortion is murder. We teach that. We preach that. We stand for that. We believe that. Here at the Grace Place, we teach that marriage is holy. We teach that it is holy, and we we teach that it is reserved for a man and a woman. 
The Bible says in the beginning God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And so we believe that sex is reserved for the union of marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman. And we believe that what the Bible teaches and we teach around here that any kind of sex outside of these parameters is sin. And this includes premarital sex. This includes extramarital sex. The Bible calls this adultery. Now understand this morning that we love, we love sinners. But even though we love sinners, we hate the sin. Romans 3 and 23 says that all have sinned and and fall short of God's glory. How many have sinned? What does all mean? See, we need to understand that one sin is not necessarily worse than any other sin. And sin, the Bible says, will separate man from God. Let me ask you this this morning. What will happen when the government demands that we go against biblical uh, values and biblical true uh, black and white biblical principles and teachings of the Word of God? What's going to happen when the the government tells me that I I uh, I have to marry homosexuals? What will happen when the government demands that we go against our biblical beliefs and participate in things that we believe is clearly uh, uh, not allowable according unto the word of God? What will happen? Well, the Bible says that we should obey the laws of the land as long, say as long. The Bible says that we should obey the laws of the land as long as they don't contradict God's laws. But the Bible says that when man's laws go against God's laws, that we should obey God's law regardless of the consequences. And so as long as long uh, as I can do what the government tells me that I'm supposed to do, as long as it does not contradict the Word of God, the clear, clear black and white, black and white teaching of the Word of God, uh, I can obey the law of the land. But one day when the government tells me I have to do something or I cannot do something, uh, you know, and that, but it's something that, that the Bible uh, is clear about, and this is a contradiction uh, of what's in the Word of God, let me tell you that the man of God, if he is a genuine, and true man of God will obey the, the word of God over the law of man. But I'm telling you that our message will not always be popular and our message could eventually land us in prison. The day may come when your pastor is tossed into jail for not being politically correct. Four things I see in our scripture for today. Number one, the church will be persecuted. Number two, I love this second point. The second thing I see in our scripture for today is God can use persecution. The devil's so dumb. Because everything the devil does, God flip-flops it. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant this to put me down, but instead God used it to elevate me and put me up. 
God can use persecution. We read about this in verses 4 through 8. Let me suggest two things here. Number one, persecution often scatters us to places we would otherwise not go. God can use persecution, and persecution will often scatter us to places we wouldn't otherwise go. In verse number 5, it says, Then Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. Very significant. Very significant. You see, the Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews. The Jews looked on the Samaritans like they were dogs or less than dogs. There was much prejudice in that day against the Samaritans. But persecution toward the church caused the people in the church to scatter. But the scattering of the saints wasn't all bad. How many know that God uses everything that happens to us? God uses everything that happens to us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God doesn't waste anything. I don't know, but perhaps the message of Christ would never have even have ever been preached in Samaria if it hadn't been that the church was persecuted. Because sometimes persecution causes us to get out of our comfort zone. Perhaps the persecution that is coming to the modern church, and I believe with all of my heart, I believe it's already coming, it's already happening, but I believe that persecution once again is going to be directed toward the modern church, but perhaps the persecution that is coming to the modern church will wake us up and even scatter us to places that we wouldn't otherwise go. We're so comfortable on the inside of our little, our church, our four, our four no more, our little holy huddle that we have on Sunday morning. We're so comfortable with people that are just like us and people that act just like us and think like us and all of that. But listen, when persecution comes, it's going to scatter the people and perhaps it's going to scatter the church and the church is going to find itself in places that it wouldn't otherwise go. Also, as more and more churches give in to the pressure and give up their biblical values in order for them to be politically correct and morally, or should I say immorally relevant to the times, I believe that many of the true godly saints are going to scatter. They're going to scatter. They're going to leave the church that have watered down the gospel. They're going to leave the churches that do not stand for biblical values, and they're going to look for a church that still holds true uh, to the biblical values of God's Word. My hope and my prayer is that the Grace Place will continue to to be such a church. But not only can persecution scatter us to places we wouldn't otherwise go. Oh, I love this. I just love my preaching. Amen. (laughs) Not only can persecution scatter us to places we wouldn't otherwise go, persecution often softens us to people we wouldn't otherwise associate with. I thought so. Once again, I refer you to the Samaritans. Listen, who knows if there ever would have been fellowship between the Jew and the Samaritan if persecution had not scattered the early church to places they wouldn't otherwise go, which also softened them toward people they would otherwise not associate with. One of the things that I love about the Grace Place is the variety of colors and ethnicities that you find in this church. Look around you this morning. If you really want to see it, come around to the second one. 
If you really want to see it, show up for the second service. Amen. People of color and pale faces like me are welcome (laughs) at the Grace Place. People of of different cultures, people of different uh, nationalities can be found here. Listen, listen, let me tell you this morning, this is not the Grace Place. This is not a white man only club. And if you're looking for that, you will not find it here. I believe as more and more persecution is aimed at, at, at the modern day church, I believe you're going to see it scatter the saints to places they might not otherwise go and it will soften some of the saints toward people they might not otherwise associate with. And in light of this, persecution is not all bad. God can and will use persecution. Third thing that I see in our, in our scripture for today is Truth will triumph over error. Truth will triumph over error. We see this in verses 9 through 25. Uh, I don't have time to read all of these verses, but I do want to mention two things that I find in these verses. And the first one is this, and that is Satan's power is limited. Satan's power is is limited. We we need to we need to remember that Satan is a created being. He was initially created by God as an angel. He was a worship leader. I I'm not going there. The Bible says that that he eventually fell from his God-given position because of pride. We need to understand that Satan is a created being and God is his creator. And so because of that, Satan's power is limited and God is his limiter. The Bible teaches us that God is omnipresent. That means that God is everywhere. That means you cannot go anywhere but what God is there. The Bible says that God is omniscient. That means that God knows everything. Those things that you hope God doesn't find out, he knows. You think your mama had eyes in the back of her head? God don't need them. He, he, he knows everything. The Bible says that God is omnipotent. That means that God is all-powerful. That means that there is absolutely nothing that God cannot do. So according to Scripture, God is omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. But we need to understand that the devil is not... The devil is not. We need to stop seeing and treating the devil as if he is equal with God. He is not. Let me tell you that the devil is not even in the same zip code with God. I have a friend that probably makes three, four times money, three or four times more, much more money than I do. And every once in a while, just because of the way he thinks, I'll say, buddy, you're in a whole different zip code than I am. Than I am. You're in a whole different financial zip code than I'm in, than I am. Let's we need to understand that the devil, that God is in a in a whole another zip code than the devil. The, the, the devil is a limited being, and God is his limiter. 
So stop treating the devil as if he is equal with God. Stop treating the devil as if he is all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere at the same time. He is not. He is a created being, created by God. He is a limited being, limited, and his limiter is God. In verses 9 through 25, the Bible says a man named Simon, or it speaks about a man named Simon in these verses. The Bible says that Simon was a follower of the devil and that he was used by Satan. Simon was impressed with the power of the devil until, say until, he was impressed with the power of the devil until until he encountered the power of God which was demonstrated through the lives of the apostles. And the Bible says that when Simon witnessed the true power of God, the power of Satan was no longer attractive, no longer did it impress him. I'll never forget a drug addict that God saved and delivered and filled with the Holy Spirit in the church that I was pastoring in Dumas, Texas back in the mid-80s. I'll never forget one day after church as we were talking and he said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, Pastor, he said, I I have experienced every kind of high that any kind of drug can give. But he said, I want to tell you, Pastor, he said, I have never experienced anything close to the high that I experienced when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. See, like Simon In Acts 8, this man was impressed with Satan, but only, only until he had an encounter with God. Satan's power is limited, but the Holy Spirit's power is limitless. Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8, he said, you shall receive power. When's this power going to come upon us? He said, after. After what? After that the Holy Holy Spirit has come upon you. We need to understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit's power. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit's power? Well, I believe it is twofold. First of all, I believe that, that, that the Holy Spirit gives us power to be. Power to be, Acts 1 and 8. You'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay, what's that power for? He goes on to say, you shall be, say be. You shall be my witnesses. Or you shall be witnesses unto me. Notice Jesus said, you shall not go do witnessing. Jesus said, you shall be my witness. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be. Write this down this morning. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be what God's Word says we are. And the Word of God tells us that we're a lot of things, and I don't have time to go into that this morning, but the only way that we can become what the Word of God says that we are is through the power of the infilling of the Holy Spirit because the the Holy Spirit's power gives us power to be, power to be witnesses, power to flesh out, Power to uh, uh, walk the walk and not just talk the talk. But not only does the Holy Spirit give us power to be, but also power to do. Power to do. John chapter 14 and verse number 12, Jesus said, Greater works than I do shall you do because I go to my Father. 
How in the world could we do greater works than Jesus did? Jesus opened the blinded eye. Jesus made the deaf ear to hear. Jesus made the crippled to walk. Jesus raised the dead. How in the world could we do great? What greater work can you do besides raising the dead? But the key is found in verse number 16. Jesus said, I will pray to my Father and he will send you another helper, which is the Holy Spirit. What we need to understand is is that when Jesus came, he did all of his exploits, all of his miracles, he did, not as Son of God, but as Son of Man, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, when he was on this earth, limited himself to a body, so he couldn't be everywhere at the same time. When he was on the earth, he was just at one place at one time. But he said, when I go away... I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit that empowered me to do the work that I did, that Holy Spirit is going to be in you. And so you can do greater works because it won't be limited to one man walking around, but every person, amen, that has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them has the same power that Jesus had and can do the work that Jesus did. In the book of Acts, we see the apostles performing miracles just like Jesus did. The Bible said that so much power flowing out of, out of Peter, the Bible said just the shadow of him. They could just get in the shadow. I personally have seen the blinded eye open. I have personally seen the deaf ear to hear. Never forget in Pakistan. When I was in crusade in Pakistan, with Doug Eccles, and I preached that night, and we prayed for the sick, and the man came up, and through an interpreter, they said, what's the problem? He said, the man can't hear. And I put my hands on his ears, and I, and I said, you know, I, I prayed a prayer for him, and I said, begin to hear in the name of Jesus. And the man started jumping up and down, saying, I can hear, I can hear. I went, what? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm just brutally honest with you. I haven't had a lot of blinded eyes open and ears unstopped uh, in America. I don't know. I'm going to ask Jesus maybe when I get there why that, but I'm going to tell you, I've been there. I've been in the crusade. I've been the preacher. I've seen it. I prayed for those. Amen. I prayed for people that couldn't hear and they could hear. I prayed for those that couldn't see and they could see. I prayed for people, amen, that, that, that couldn't, that came on a stretcher. They literally could not walk and the Lord touched them and the Lord healed them. Amen. Listen, listen, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is power to be, but it is also power to do. Amen? The Holy Spirit's power is limitless. And even, listen, even more miraculous than, than these kinds of miracles. Listen, listen, I've seen, I've seen abusive husbands stop abusing their wives. I've seen, I've seen drunkards sobered up. I've seen adulterers repent. I've seen broken homes restored. I've seen drug addicts delivered. And the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation when Jesus saves our soul. The Holy Spirit's power is limitless and the Holy Spirit is here right now. I believe with all of my heart this morning that the Holy Spirit is here right now to work the miraculous in your life. Listen, hear me this morning. Listen to me. Satan may, uh, might have you in his grasp right now, but you can be delivered from Satan's grasp right now in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I don't believe you even have to wait till the altar call this morning. I believe the power of the Holy Spirit is here right now to set you free from any bondage that he may have you tied up with. I pray this morning right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The chains of addiction will fall off of people here today. I pray for people that are addicted by alcohol. The chains of addiction of alcohol will fall off today. Those of you that are bound by the addiction of nicotine in the name of Jesus. I believe in God. Amen. That chain is going to fall off of you this morning. Those of you that are bound by drugs or you're bound by pornography or lust or greed or gluttony or homosexual desires, any and all other addictions that might be represented here today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I, I claim and I believe right now, amen, that the addictions are broken in the name of Jesus. I'll never forget years ago I was having a New Year's Eve service in Midland at the church we planted there. And I felt impressed to tell the people that were gathered there at the very end, right before the midnight hour. I said, some of you have things in your life that shouldn't be there. And I'm going to challenge you to leave those in the old year and don't bring them into the new. And so if you have something that you're bound with or something you want to leave in the old year and not bring into the new year, I want you to come down front and we're going to pray for you and we're going to believe God. You're going to leave that in the old year. It's not going to accompany you into the new year. Had a lady come forward. I said, what is, what is it? She said, I smoke. I said, okay. She said, I smoked for years. She said, nicotine has its hold on me. I don't want to be bound by nicotine in this next year. I want to leave it in the old year. I said, all right, I'm going to pray for you. And then I just, I said, wait a minute. I've never been bound by cigarettes. The only cigarettes I've ever smoked were cigarette butts when I was a little boy, and I'd pick them up as a preacher's kid. (laughs) Oh, don't tell me you never did that. (laughs) The reason why the preacher's kids are so bad, because they have to grow up with the deacon's kids. Amen. I said, ma'am, I've never been bound by cigarettes. I don't really understand what you're going through. So I'm going to ask somebody here in the church this morning that has been bound by nicotine that's been delivered. Uh, I want them to pray for you because they'll be able to pray for you like I can't pray for you. And uh, I said, anybody here like that? And this man, his name was Don. He raised his hand. I said, come down here, Don. I said, I want you to pray for him. Had the microphone, you know, doing the evangelist thing, you know. And I said, uh, I said, Don, I said, you were bound by cigarettes. Yes. Nicotine had a hold of you. Yes. I said, how did you, how did you get set free from smoking? He said, I started dipping. I said, Don, that was not the answer I was looking for. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I said, Don, you pray for her. God's going to set her free. I'm gonna, when you're done praying for her, I'm going to pray for you, and God's going to deliver you from dipping. True story, next Sunday morning he came to church, he told everybody in the foyer, he said, that's the beatingest church I've ever been. He said, you get delivered whether you want to be delivered or not. (laughs) The purpose of the Holy Spirit's power is that we may have power to be, but not just power to be, but also power to do. The fourth and final thing this morning, we're going to have to do this very quickly this morning. We, number four, the fourth thing that I find here, and that is we can be led by God on a daily basis. I'm going to stop here and teach a little bit. I'm going to give you an hour's lesson in less than five minutes and 32 seconds. We can find this in verses 26 through 40. Three things about being led by God 
that we can find in these verses. Number one, he can tell us where to go. Listen, get a hold of these next three points. Get a hold of what I'm saying. It can totally revolutionize your life. We can be led by God on a daily basis. He can tell us where to go. Verse 26 says that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now at this particular time, God used an angel. God can use an angel. He can use his word. He can use a a, a saint. He can use a a, a message. Uh, He can speak to us directly in our spirit. But, but he can tell us where to go. And listen, because of that, we should uh, never make any major decisions or choose any direction in life without asking God where he wants us to go. Now listen, listen, I do believe that God will go with us wherever we go. But I also believe that God has a specific place picked out for us. And that this specific place that God has prepared for us, I believe that is where we can find and enjoy His best blessings. And I found this out to be true in my own personal life, in my own ministry. I also see it in Scripture. The Bible says that God had a specific place for a man named Elijah. The Bible says that God said to Elijah, God said to Elijah, he said, go to the brook Kirith. And he said, I will sustain you there. Notice the word there. Did he say, I will sustain you anywhere? No. He said, go to the brook Kirith and I will sustain you there. And he went to the brook Kirith and God, uh, God provided for him. But the Bible said eventually the brook dried up and then God spoke to him again and God told him to go to Zarephath. And God said at Zarephath, he said, I will sustain you there. Where? Anywhere? No, there. There. I believe God has a there place for every single one of us. I believe uh, that we will find God's best for our lives when we are led by God to our personal there place. The Bible says that Peter's their place was among the Jews. And Paul's their place was among the Gentiles. We can be led by God on a daily basis. God can tell us where to go. Maybe you're a salesman. You don't know where you ought to sell. God can tell you where to go. Maybe, maybe your company is telling you, you know, you've got three picks here. You can go here, here, or there. Listen, God has one of those places designed and ready and picked out for you. God can lead you to the there place. God can, te- can tell you where to go. Not only can God tell us where to go, but number two, God can tell us who to talk to. He can tell us who to talk to. I don't have time, but in verses 27 through 29, says that Philip was led to the Ethiopian eunuch and and the Lord told him what to say. Let me tell you that nearly every single day I ask God to align my circumstances, align my situations, align my relationships. Listen, I've found that it is absolutely true. It's not always what you know, but who you know. And many of my greatest blessings have come to me not just because of what I know, but because of who I know. Here's what I understand this morning. That is the what is useless without an audience. And often it's the who that provides me the right audience to share the what. And so I need to ask God to lead me to the who that needs my what. And this leads me to the third and final part, and that is that he can tell us what to say. You find that in verses 30 through 35, which I had time to read those this morning, but he can tell us what 
to say, listen, if we will pay attention, God will give us opportunities to witness and tell people about Jesus. And nearly every conversation could be steered toward Jesus if we were only sensitive to the Holy Spirit, only directed by Him as to what we should say. And we understand that most Christians, or excuse me, most sinners will not come to church, and so the church must go to them. But I believe the most effective evangelistic efforts is personal evangelism. Where God's people are led by God as to where to go, who to talk to, and what to say. I believe there are people already in your life. God has already positioned people already in your life that would hear the message of Jesus if it came from you. They might not hear from anybody else, but because of the relationship that you have built with them, God will, God will, or they will allow you to speak into their life. And you need to be sensitive, amen, you need to be sensitive as to what God would have you to say. If you'll read those verses I gave, you'll find out that, that the Bible says that Philip uh, took him right where he was, and right from where he was, uh, he preached Jesus to him. I'm telling you, you can preach Jesus from any conversation. You can preach Jesus. You can turn the conversation to Jesus. No matter what that conversation is, there's a way. And the Holy Spirit will give you that way. If we could get help on the platform this morning, please. The takeaway this morning for the message is only an empowered church will be an effective church. Well, it was really effective, I guess. I didn't hear any feedback on that. Let me say it again. Only an empowered church will be an effective church. I don't want to just build a big church. I want an effective church. Amen. And I'm not going to lower my standards, not my standards. I'm not going to lower God's standards to try and get a crowd. I'm not going to lower God's standards in order not to, you know, to hurt somebody's feelings or rub somebody the wrong way or make it uncomfortable on somebody. I'm going to preach the truth, but I'm going to preach it in love. And the black and white of the Bible, we're going to preach it. No matter what the government says, no matter what, the, what, what, what uh, the leadership of our nation says, amen, this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his word, amen. We're going to do everything in our power to use wisdom and all of that, but we're going, not going to back down from the word of the living God. 